listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. Go ahead and turn your Bibles to Matthew 26. If you're our guest, we have been working through the Gospel of Matthew since the 1970s, and uh, we're almost done. No. Week 55. Week 55. We're almost at the, uh, the end here. Uh, but it's been a fruitful time for us. We're, what we do here week by week uh, is not flashy. It doesn't get uh, newspaper clippings, but we work through the Bible verse by verse and hear what God has to say. And so we are in chapter 26. Tradition is an interesting thing. Uh, we love tradition often, uh, but so, so many times when it comes to traditions, we do things not because we know why. We just do them because grandma told me so, and so, especially in church. It's hard to break traditions in church. Some of you know this. You grew up in church. And so, and, and the traditions have a way of building upon themselves. So this was a tradition and we added this one year and that became a tradition. So we kept adding until now we have new traditions upon new traditions. And we do this in our families, right? Every family has their rhythm of way to do things that maybe at holidays or on Sunday evenings or whatever that you have a tradition. We used to have a tradition every year at Christmas. I don't know how it started, but we would go and we would go out to the wilderness and we would chop down our own Christmas tree, all right? And it, I don't know when it started. We didn't do this growing up. My dad would just go buy one and we'd be like, yay, Christmas tree. But I don't know, somewhere along the line, we thought it was brilliant. We're gonna go cut our own down. So we'd go out and the kids would run around the field. Yay, and they'd run around the field. That was fun. And ride the hayride and drink the hot chocolate. And then we'd go and cut the, the least Charlie Brown Christmas tree we could find. And they were all disgusting, but it was fun, right? They were all not pretty. They were just the way it was. And we'd go back, we'd throw it on the car and we'd go to Perkins, right? Go to Perkins on the way in. And, and in one year, a couple years ago, I think it was like three years ago, the kids are like, I don't want to go to the wilderness, which I'm kind of glad about because I didn't want to waste $37 in gas to drive to the wilderness. And I'm the one that always cuts the thing down. They didn't care about the hay rides anymore and petting the donkey and drinking the hot chocolate. And, and so I was like, other people, normal people, they just go down the street and go to these things called Christmas tree lots, now, they pay like $800 for a tree, but it's worth it. And so a couple of years ago, we broke tradition and it was better. The tree was prettier. It was easy, right? And the kids didn't even care if they went. It was just like, okay, we'll just go and let mom pick the tree out. And it was better, even though we broke tradition. And what we're gonna see in our text today is Jesus is going to break tradition. He's gonna take something that has been celebrated every year for 1,500 years. And upon every, every year, it seemed like they added to it and there was more tradition and more tradition. It wasn't what originally started, but there's tradition, tradition. And he's going to simplify it. No more going to the wilderness and cutting down a tree. No more hay riding. We're just gonna simplify it into two simple things. And it's actually better. It's better. It's more meaningful. It's one of the things that he has given us to, to remember. And so we're gonna see the Lord Jesus today institute what we have called different names in the churches, depending on your church, communion, the Lord's supper, the Lord's table. We're gonna look at where it came from and why it was significant to them, but why is it better? It's a better tree. Uh, why is it simpler, but it's better and more meaningful for us? That's what we're gonna look at today as we study our text. And we're gonna be in Matthew 26. We're gonna cover 17 through 30. Let me read our text in its entirety. Uh, before we kind of unpack it uh, verse by verse, starting verse 17. Now, on the first day of unleavened bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying, where will you have us prepare for you to eat the Passover? 
And he said, go into the city to a certain man and say to him, the teacher says, my time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with my disciples. And the disciples did as Jesus directed them and they prepared the Passover. When it was evening, he reclined at the table with the 12. And as they were eating, he said, truly, I say to you, one of you will betray me. And they were very sorrowful and began to say to him one after another, is, is it I, Lord? And he answered, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. The son of man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the son of man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. And Judas, who would betray him, answered, is it I, Rabbi? And he said to him, you have said so. Now, as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new with you in my father's kingdom. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. So if you weren't here last week, what happened previously is Judas Iscariot had offered to betray Jesus. And so he is looking for an opportunity to betray Jesus. And he's not gonna have to look hard and long because it's gonna come. But we find ourselves on Thursday, on the first day of, of unleavened bread, the disciples come to Jesus. And when he says unleavened bread, this is an eight day feast. It begins with Passover and it goes all the way through a week and a day. And, and so this is the, the festival that all these people are in Jerusalem celebrating. There's actually three. You got Passover, unleavened bread, and first fruits all in that first weekend. Three of the seven feasts of the Old Testament that the Jews celebrated. Um, and, and it's a celebratory time. There's a lot of people. It's chaos in the city. And this is a rooted in a tradition that is 1,500 years old. It comes from the book of Exodus. And we studied this in detail in Exodus. So you can go back and listen to those if you kind of want more detail. But the gist of it is this. God had sent Charlton Heston back to Egypt. And he was going to deliver his people. And he has 10 judgments or 10 plagues. Each plague was an attack on an Egyptian deity. And the 10th one was the biggest that God himself would come through Egypt and would judge every single house, Israel and Egypt, right? And he would kill the firstborn in every house. And the only way to escape that coming judgment was to at twilight in a certain day, kill a lamb that they've had in their house for several days and put the blood on the door to get rid of the leaven in the house, which pictures sin. And when God came through, if he saw blood on the door, he would pass over. And that's what happened. And then the next day, the Israelites were free from their bondage and they fled and left Egypt. And that's what this is looking back on, that they had been delivered from slavery. And so this this Seder ceremony, this meal that they were about to celebrate, Jesus he wanted to celebrate this. Judas was, had his plans, but Judas was not gonna be able to betray him until Jesus deals with this issue that he's gonna give us. He wants to celebrate. He says in the other gospels, I have eagerly desired, I, I've been looking forward to this last Passover meal with you. And so Matthew's kind of high level uh, summarizes the rest of the gospel accounts. It said, they say to him, where do you want us to prepare and eat the Passover? What you find when you read the other accounts is that Jesus has been very, he's been, thinking ahead. He's planned this out, 
right? He has appointed a place, a time, and all these things. So he tells two of his disciples, very specific. He says to James, I mean, to John and to Peter, the other gospel tells us. He tells them, okay, you're gonna go into such and such a town and you're gonna look for, Matthew says, a certain man. A certain man is very generic. But, but the other gospels say that he's gonna see a guy carrying water. And that's the signal, right? And you say, why is that a signal? Because in that day, it was usually the ladies who carried the water. So a guy carrying water would have been out of place. They're gonna go to that guy and say, hey, where's the place for the teacher to eat? And he's gonna show you a room. He said, get everything ready there. Right, so it's, he's thought this out and only two guys know where it's gonna be. Why? Because Judas, if he knows where it's gonna happen, he would have the Sanhedrin there. He'd, he'd be waiting. So this is a secret deal that Jesus has planned ahead of time. And, and you get this idea that Jesus is in control. Even in his betrayal, he is in control. It's, it is my time, he says. Tell him the teacher says, it's my time. Up until this point, he says, it's not my time. It's not my time. It's not my time. Now his time is here. Why he has come, right? He is about to be betrayed. He is about to be crucified. And I want you to notice the atmosphere of this meal, all right? This is supposed to be a celebrate celebration. It's a joyful occasion, but, but this is how you drop a bomb on a, on a meal, right? Jesus, as they're eating, he says what to them? One of you will betray me. I mean, this is not how you go about a celebratory service. This would be like a Christmas dinner, dad being like, hey, everybody, I lost my job. Merry Christmas, right? It, it's not a way to go uh, to, to set the tone for the meal, right? But Jesus sitting there watching his disciples says, one of y'all, is going to betray me. And it immediately changes the atmosphere. They're sorrowful. They're distressed, right? And they begin to say to, to him one after another, is it I, Lord? And the, and the idea in the Greek text is, it's, it's not me, is it? I know it's not me. I would never do so. It's interesting that they are all defending themselves. They're not, because I think I would have been like, okay, let me figure out who this is. I think, I think it's Thaddeus. He's always been shady. You know how he cuts his beard. He's always been shady. Look at that dude over there. He's not even looking at him. I, I would be thinking about who else. They're all defending themselves. Not I, it's not I, it's not I, right? And they don't know. And there's whispering and murmuring going on. Um, that's the atmosphere that's going on here. And Jesus tells them, because they're all thinking, it's not me, there's no way. This is not gonna be happening. He says, oh, it's, it's gonna happen. He said, he who has dipped his hand in the dish with me will betray me. There, there's a... There's several times during the Seder meal where you're dipping in a common dish. The idea is not, that guy just dipped, it's him. The idea is one of the 12, one of y'all who's got the nachos and you're going into the salsa, one of the guys is gonna do it, right? Why? Because this is, how it's, this is what is written. The son of man, as it is written, will go. But woe to the one, woe to Judas who betrayed him. It would be better that Judas had not been born. That's a, that's a pretty stark statement. Why? Because today, Judas is in hell. And today, Judas is conscious of the fact that he betrayed Jesus for 30 stinking pieces of silver. That Judas, who had his feet washed by Jesus right previous to this, that Judas, who spent three years watching miracle after miracle after miracle, still didn't believe, and he could have, and he could have repented, but he didn't. Judas is conscious. It would be better for him to not have existed at all than to be suffering forever knowing that he was that close to Messiah and he didn't believe, right? And it's interesting, Judas, who would betray him? Who knows? You can imagine when, when Jesus says this, Judas is thinking he knows. And he, and he says, is it I, Rabbi? Notice he uses the word Rabbi instead of Lord like the rest. Is it I, teacher? That's not me, right? But he knows it's him. He knows, 
He said, you have said so. You've indicted yourself. And I gotta wonder if Jesus is thinking, what's he gonna do? What's he gonna do? I mean, is he gonna have the disciples tackle me? Is he gonna call lightning down from heaven? And you know what Jesus does? Nothing. He does nothing. He's just washed his feet. He didn't skip Judas. He washed 11 and Judas is like, hey, you're gonna wash me? He had just washed his feet. And what is he gonna do? He does nothing. He does nothing. John's gospel kind of tells us some of the backdrop, what's going on here. So all the disciples are murmuring and whispering, I can't believe it. And Peter looks over at John's like, trying to get John's attention. Ask him, ask him who it is. And John's sitting right next to Jesus. And he says, Lord, who is it? Jesus says, the one who I dip the morsel and give it to. And he dips it, he gives it to Judas. And the only thing he does for Judas, he speaks to him and he says, what you do, do quickly. And it says, Satan enters him and he gets up and he leaves the table. And everyone doesn't know what's going on. They don't pick up on what's going on. They think, oh, Judas is just going to get more matzah. We ran a matzah because he's, he's the guy that has the money. They never suspected Judas. I mean, Thaddeus, maybe. Bartholomew, probably, but not Judas. It would never be Judas. They just think he's going to buy some stuff or he's going to give money to the poor. But it was Judas. That's the backdrop of what's going on, right? And it's not exactly how I would start a meal, but that's how Jesus starts him. And then after Judas uh, has left, uh, this is what happens. They were eating. Jesus took bread after blessing it. He broke it and he gave it to the disciples and said, take, eat. This is my body. Now, that's a loaded phrase, as they were eating. <laughs> we got to kind of unpack that a little bit. Because again, the Seder meal had become this formalized thing over the years. And tradition upon tradition, even today, the tradition of the Seder is added and that and that. If you read Exodus, it was pretty simple. A couple little things, but that was it. Now it's very elaborate and there's all these different things. But uh, first is this. If, I, I love Da Vinci, great artist, not a great scholar biblically. This is not what it looked like. Everyone like, hey, take a picture. Everyone, you know, leaning in there or whatever. Okay, they did not sit at a table that we have like in the fellowship hall. That's not what it looked like. They weren't sitting in a little chair. They would have been uh, laying on their sides like this on a pillow. That's why John is reclining on, and he's laying on Jesus' bosom. He's leaning up against him. It was very intimate. This is a more accurate representation and probably it was actually a U-shaped table so they could see each other, face each other. And the Seder meal, again, don't have time to go into the whole thing. <coughs> Excuse me. It, it, it revolves around four cups of wine. Okay, four cups of wine that are all related to an I will statement of Exodus chapter six, where God says, I will, I will, I will, I will. So the first cup that would have been celebrated, kind of opening of the Seder, was the cup of blessing. Okay, the cup of blessing, where they would begin the leader of the family, the head of the home would say, you know, Baruch Adonai, Elohenu, and he'd go through the whole thing. Blessed art thou, God, king of the universe, uh, who gives forth fruit of the vine. And everyone's like, amen. It's kind of like Baptist, the doxology, amen. They would have done that at the end, amen. And at that point, the Seder would have begun. There's a hand washings, and they dip some, some parsley kind of stuff in salt water, which pictures the tears of, of uh, Egypt and slavery. And then there's a breaking of this matzah, and there's several pieces of matzah on the table. And now again, traditions have gone. So now they have this one piece of matzah, if you're in a modern Seder, that you go and you hide in the house. And so the kids are later gonna find it. But then you break off the matzah that's still left on the table and you dip it in this kind of paste stuff and you eat it. And then you make a little matzah sandwich with horseradish. That's probably the morsel that Jesus dipped and gave to Judas. It's at that point that he would have left. 
That's probably what's going on there. And that's when the youngest in the house typically asks the four questions of the Seder. The first one is, why is this night different than every other night? And the second question is, well, we, always, we usually eat unleavened bread. Now why do we eat unleavened tonight? And it, and it enables the story to be told of how God delivered, right? And then comes the second cup, which is the cup of judgment. And this cup pictures, uh, again, the story of the Exodus. And so at this point, the head of the home or the whoever's leading a Seder is going to tell the story of the Exodus and how God delivered through these plagues and the Passover lamb and how they have freedom because of what happened. Again, and again, this is probably where Jesus makes this statement uh, about the body. This is my body. Where they break, uh, thank you, sir. They break the matzah and he says, this is my body, right? That was given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then there's a third cup. The cup of redemption. Actually, actually, there's also a meal after that. That's where they eat the lamb and all, a bunch of other stuff. And then there's the cup of redemption where Jesus then says, he took a cup when he given thanks. He gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you. This is the blood of the covenant which is poured out for the forgiveness. This would have been the third cup, most scholars think. And after they do this, now modern day, they open the front door. If you've ever been to a Seder, they open the front door with expectation that Elijah's gonna show up, right? And we know, why? Because Malachi says that before the Messiah, Malachi, uh, says that John the Baptist would show up or that, that Elijah would show up. And we know that was John the Baptist. So that even today there's this expectation, oh, Johnny B is gonna show up. And then the final cup, the end of the Seder is a cup of praise. And this is probably the cup that Jesus refers to in the next verse. I tell you, I'll not drink again of this fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it with you in my father's kingdom. So at the end of the Seder, you drink one more cup, you sing a hymn, you sing a Hallel Psalm, one of the Psalms that's associated with the, with the feast which is what they do. They sing a hymn and then they went out to the Mount of Olives. And then in modern day Seder, they say next year in Jerusalem and they hold their wine up because the idea is we're gonna celebrate Passover one day in Jerusalem. But again, all these traditions and there's all sorts of other little hand washings and this and readings and stuff. But what you see here, what I want you to see is Jesus takes this elaborate ceremony, which has great imagery and great pictures of who God is and what he's gonna done. But he, he makes it super simple. And he boils it all down into two simple things, bread and a cup, right? This is my body. Luke's gospel says, given for you. It's a Greek word that means in your place, for you, as your substitute. This is my body for your body. I took your place. And again, they used unleavened bread because leaven pictured sin. And we use matzah because it has the holes in it, which picture the piercing of Jesus' hands, his feet and his side. It has some, some bruising on it, which pictures how Jesus was beaten and bruised for us. This is a change. The bread didn't mean that originally. The, bread, the picture of the bread for them was, okay, we're gonna get out of Dodge tomorrow morning so we don't have time to let the bread rise so we break it without leaven and so we just have matzah. That was the image for them. It was supposed to remind them God delivered and they were gone the next day. Jesus says, no, 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 this is me. I am the bread of life. I am manna from heaven and I want you to take, and I want you to internalize, I want you to remember me for you, one for one, me for you, my body for you. And he takes the cup, that cup of redemption. It says, this is now the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. Why a new covenant? Well, one, because Jeremiah promised that there would be a new covenant in which God would write his law in our hearts. He would give us his spirit. But ultimately, because the old covenant wasn't good enough for us. Good enough for God. 
Jesus was able to keep it, but nobody in this room, nobody who ever existed could keep the old covenant. You can't get to church without breaking a commandment. You can't keep the 300 plus laws. No one could. It, you just, it was impossible. And on top of that, the priest's job was never done. Every day, standing up, bull, goat, dove, lamb, bull, goat, dove, lamb, bull, goat, dove, lamb. Next shift, bull, goat, dove, lamb. Every day, there's no chairs in the temple. Why? Because the priest's work was never done. Passover after Passover, day of atonement after day of atonement. All these things, sacrifice, 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 all the time. Just bloody mess. And, and blood of bulls and goats could not take away sin. It could cover it for a time, but it couldn't remove, it couldn't erase until one sacrifice for all sin. And he sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why? Because his last words were what? It is finished, done. And so Jesus pays it all in one moment. All sin past, all sin present, all sin future. It just says, this now represents my blood for the new covenant, better than the old covenant. This is my body that was for you. I took your place. And what's interesting is the original, the main course of the original Seder was what? The lamb. When Jesus simplifies it, we don't have, there's not a piece of meat down here for y'all to take. Why? Because he's the lamb. He's the lamb. He was the one who, for days, remember the Passover lamb they had to pick on the 10th of Nisan, and then he didn't get sacrificed for the 14th. And so they had four or five days to examine their lamb in their house. And what did Jesus do? We've looked at it the last couple of weeks. Every day in the temple, letting the priests see if he was pure or not. And they tried to trip him up. They tried to trick him up. They tried to question him. And every time he comes out on top, why? Because he was innocent, he was pure, and he proved it. And then when he's on the cross, they, they come to break his legs. But the problem is the Passover lamb was not supposed to be broken. And so by the time they got to him to break his legs, they're like, oh, he's already dead. We don't need to break him. Why? Because the Passover lamb would not be broken. Because his blood would be shed. He is the perfect Passover lamb. And these things point to him. And, and the church throughout church history, the last 2,000 years, has looked at the table in different ways. And you need to understand this a little bit because uh, the scripture is ambiguous in some some areas for us, which we believe that when the scripture is not as ambiguous, it gives us some freedom. So for instance, how often do you celebrate the table? Well, he doesn't tell us. He just tells us as often as you celebrate it, do this in remembrance of me. So some churches do it once a year, some do it every week, some do it every time they get together, some do it once a month. There's some ambiguity there. Are we gonna all have one cup? Are we gonna have little plastic cups? I can tell you Jesus did not have 12 little plastic cups sitting around his little table. Okay, he didn't have that. But there is some ambiguity there. Who serves it? Well, the scripture doesn't say. Some churches say, well, you have to have the elders do it. Great, that's what your church says. Some churches say anyone can serve it. Okay, great. The scripture doesn't say, so we, well, there's some freedom. But, but there are some things that are clear about what the Bible teaches. And, and throughout history, there's been different views. One view, and some of you come out of this background, is a view called uh, transubstantiation. That's a fancy word, I know. But this is what the Roman Catholic Church teaches. And I want you to understand what it is because I want you to see why it's wrong. Okay, and I'm not trying to be mean here. I'm trying to be biblical. But what the Roman Catholic Church teaches is that every Sunday when they gather, or Saturday night if you're a really good Catholic, right? But every time they gather, the highlight of their gathering is the mass. 
for the Protestant church, the highlight is what? It's the word. But for them, it's the mass. And here's why. They believe the priest with his hat and his you know, candles and everything will say his prayer. And when he prays over these elements, that that bread and that juice actually physically and literally become the body and blood of Jesus. That's what they believe. Okay, And so when, when he prays his magic prayer, that takes place. And when you ingest that, your sins are actually forgiven. That's, that's what they believe. That's what they teach. That grace is given in that moment and that your sins are forgiven. And the problem with that is multiple. Well, here's one of them. One of them is they believe ultimately that Jesus is being sacrificed every week. That's what it is. It's the re-sacrificing of Jesus every week. This is why in the Roman church, their crucifix has a Jesus on it, right? And when you see Protestants wearing crosses, it's an empty cross. Why? Because the tomb is empty. It's not by accident. It's not just, oh, that's just an artistic design. That is because Jesus is crucified every week and it ignores the once for all sacrifice that Jesus offers. You have to take mass to have your sins forgiven, which is why when the politics, you know, they threaten politicians, they're not gonna let them take mass. It's such a big stink because that's how my sins are forgiven. Not only that, if this is the literal body and blood of Jesus, which they believe it is, this is why they worship the elements, which is called idolatry. And that's what's taking place at the mass. And on top of that, it makes the priest and the laity separate, doesn't it? Which is why if you read the Middle Ages, the priests wouldn't give the common folk communion because we can't give it to them. This is the literal body and the literal blood of Jesus. What if they spill it? What if, they, what if they're not worthy? And so they would keep the common folk from actually having the body and the blood because this is special that they can't have it, which is not the intent of Jesus who says, no, no, take and eat. So there's multiple problems and it's all rooted in a misunderstanding of what Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood. He's not saying this is the literal body, this is the literal, he's using a metaphor like he has constantly through the scripture. I am the vine, you are the branches. All right, everyone hold up their branches. Where's your leaves? All right, where's your figs? No, we understand he's using a figure of speech. I am the door. All right, everybody. Right? No, he's using a figure of speech. When he says, this represents me for you. This represents the blood of the new covenant. It's, it's clear language, right? And so Luther understood this. And so he pulls away and he protests and starts the Protestant Reformation. The only problem is he didn't pull away enough. So he came up with something that, that has been called, he didn't call it this, but theologians have called it this, consubstantiation, not trans, it changes con, it's with. And so the body and blood is not physical, it's spiritual. I don't know what that means, but it's better than transubstantiation. And the Lutherans today still celebrate this, uh, but it's better than transubstantiation, but it still, it still pushes the metaphor too far. So Calvin and the reformers, uh, the reform view of the, of the Lord's table is that Christ is present in a special way at his table, right? So that it is a special time and that Jesus is somehow present. Again, I don't, it's kind of a, a, a mysticism there uh, that, that you can't really put your finger on, but that's, that's kind of what Anglican, Reform, Presbyterians believe. And then you have Baptist, Mr. Zwingli, Uldrich Zwingli, who was real popular at recess with that name. He, he came up with what's called the memorial view, which no, Christ isn't present, it's just a reminder. It's just, a rem it's just a remember this in that day. There's nothing necessarily significantly special about Christ's presence. It's just something we remember. And I would say that view three and four, I like a combination of them. 
Um, I, I guess that's the fifth view. I'm going to get in myself in a systematic theology, but I do believe it is a memorial because Jesus says, remember, but I don't believe it's just some, some simple thing that doesn't matter because Paul says that we're to take it in a worthy manner and not an unworthy manner. And it's significant enough that he has to warn us because he tells them, some of y'all are dead and some of y'all are sick because you're coming to the table in, a, in an unworthy manner. So there's something there that it is simple, but it's still solemn. But it's not become this, it is a reminder and it points to something, right? And what I want us to do as a church, I want this tradition to mean something. Not just do something, it's not just a cracker and juice that we do once a month because that's what the church does. I want us to think deeply on this because Jesus only gave us two ordinances in this church, baptism and the Lord's table. Both point to really the same idea, to him. He says, I want you to remember me. Not that you forget from an intellectual, because everyone's like, yeah, I know, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, I get that. But there is a sense where sometimes our heart that's prone to wander needs to be reoriented back to the cross. Last week, uh, my dog woke me up and I looked at my watch, I'm like, 5 a.m., my gracious, what in the world? So I let the dog out, I'm thinking, are you an old man? You gotta get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom? I mean, sorry, old man, I'm not trying to be pick on you or anything. So I let the dog out, I'm like 5 a.m., but then I go outside, I'm like, man, it's kind of, looks like it's getting light out, but it must be the moon or something. I don't know, I'm just gonna go back to sleep. So I go back in the house and my alarm goes off, like, it feels like a minute later. I'm like, what, how is that possible? I mean, I know that, you know, you, you know, you wake up at like three and you're like, oh, I still have that amount of time. I'm like, that was a quick hour. But the alarm goes off and then I get my phone out and turn my alarm off and I was like, it says 6.15. I'm like, wait a minute. So what had happened is the day before my watch died, and so I plugged it in and charged it, but I never resynced it with my watch. So it just came up with its own time. And so it was running on its own time. And what I needed to do was reorient my watch to the true north of my phone so that I'm on the right time. And what we need sometimes is to reorient our lives back to the cross. It's not that we don't know where it is, but we've gone off this way or we've gone off this way. And we need to reorient our lives to what Jesus has done and how he, what he is, uh, expects from us. And that's what the table does for us. It allows us to reorient and get back to what God has said and what God wants from us and to know how God feels about us. And so there's four ways. I was listening to a sermon this week and they, they articulated it this way and I thought, that's helpful. I'm gonna use that. Four ways I want us to be reorienting. When we come to the table, monthly, weekly, whatever rhythm we get into, because we kind of do it sporadically based on the text a lot of times. But four things I want us to come every time and reorient towards right? I want us to first to reorient by looking up. And what I mean by looking up is I'm using a metaphor here. I'm not like, okay, everyone look up. No, metaphorically look up. What I want us to see is the mercy and love and grace of God, the father towards you. And that while you were yet sinners, Christ died for you. That's what the body represents. That's what the blood represents. That God loves sinners. That this is a table, not for the righteous, but for the unrighteous, that God welcomes sinners to his table. If, if you had to be righteous to get here, then you would never be able to approach. But because what Christ has done, he has made access to the Father. And this is what's significant. What does Jesus say? Take and eat. Think about those two words. And if you know your Bible, you, they, they should 
a little, a little alarm should be going off in your head of when the first time you heard take and eat was. First time you saw take and eat was Genesis chapter three, when Adam and Eve blew the whole thing up and they broke fellowship with God. And why, how did they break fellowship with God? They took and they ate, exact words. What is Jesus doing? He is reversing the curse. And he's saying, what happened in the garden, separation, I am now bringing you back in. Take and eat and drink this fellowship with me. There's a reunion that I have made possible. How? My body, my blood. It's not by accident. This is an invitation for sinners. And that when you drink and when you eat at this table, you are reminding yourself, I am clean. Not because of what I have done, but because Christ has done. I am welcome. Not because I'm nice, despite what my mom says. It's not because of you. It's because of him. That whom the son has set free is free indeed. That there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That's what we're reminding of, right? That is what we're remembering. That is what we are looking up to. You cannot, when you think about it, you cannot doubt the love of God when you are holding these elements in your hand because these are pictures that Jesus went all in for you. And it doesn't matter if you had a great week or a bad week. Some of you are like, I had a great week. You know, read my Bible every day. I went to the women's conference. Woo, I'm on fire for God. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm about great. And some of you haven't opened your Bible since last week when you fell asleep during the sermon. And either way, the table reminds us, I'm not worthy, but he loves me anyway. Because it's not based on you based on him. You are loved. You are invited and you open the door and dine with him and he with you. We're to look up, but we're also to look in. There is a time of reflection. There is a time of, of contemplation, of thanking God for what he's done. There is a time to repent of sin, right? Paul says, don't take it in an unworthy manner. How do we take it in an unworthy manner? Well, if you have sin in your life and you are not, your intent is to not repent of it, then he would say, don't take of the table because you're gonna, you're gonna say, okay, I'm gonna take this which pictures forgiveness and God's love, but I'm just gonna go out tomorrow and I'm gonna keep sleeping with my girlfriend. I'm gonna keep getting drunk. I'm gonna keep doing this, but I, I'm not gonna change that, but I'm gonna celebrate this. That is an unworthy manner because you are saying this is not really that valuable. I love my sin more than I love this. And he would say, don't take, because that's an unworthy manner, right? Or in the context of 1 Corinthians, when he's dealing with this, to take in an unworthy manner is to be disunified. Like, so what's going on in Corinth is they were the original Baptists. They would eat every time they get together. They'd have a big potluck on Sunday night, and everyone that could bring something would bring something. And the wealthier people in the church would bring food. And the poorer people in the church, they didn't have money to go buy food. So they would come with nothing. And the rich folks were like, oh, they shouldn't get to eat because they didn't bring anything. So the rich folks would bring their food and then they would get there early and they'd eat all the food before the poor people could get there. And so these guys left feeling sorry because oh, I didn't get to bring anything and they're left hungry. And these guys are stuffing their faces. And on top of that, they're getting drunk at the table. And Paul says, what? Are you crazy? This is why some of y'all are dead. This is why some of y'all are sick, right? You're drinking judgment on yourself because you're holding in your hand that which pictures the oneness of God and us being the one body. And yet you are, di you are divi divided. 
When you're not serving one another, you're actually saying, well, they shouldn't eat, I should, they don't buy anything. He says, you gotta get it together. And so there, if you got issues with somebody in this room, and some of you, I know you're away to church this morning. I get it. This is why I never drive with my family to church. Because <laughs> I could never preach. If, there's a, if there was a little conflict on the way because someone was late and someone was in the driveway honking, you have a few minutes to get right with the Lord and, and say, I love you, I'm sorry. To the parents, to the kids, to the wife, whatever. In all seriousness, no, if there's something that you have between somebody, Jesus would say, leave your offering there and go make that right and then come and give it. You go, text message, call, whatever, and get right because that's more important than you celebrating because you don't want to take an unworthy manner. But it's a time to reflect and look in, not to feel guilty and like, oh man, is there some unconfessed sin back in third grade? I don't know if I cheated on that spelling test or not. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about known, this needs to change. God help me change. But I know that if I confess my sins, he is faithful, he is just to forgive me. It's time to look in. It's also time to look around. That this is not ever meant, this is not designed to be a one person meal. This is not you microwave in front of the TV, throw it down and get out. This is a communal meal. Even the original Seder Passover, there was supposed to be a minimum of 10 people for one lamb. So it's supposed to be a family deal. It's supposed to be us where we say, look what God has done for us. Let's rejoice with us. And family is, is challenging, right? You have family. So if you got kids, you, there's challenges, there's chaos. And that's part of the deal. But yet God takes chaos and makes us one. And we have people on this side of the room, this side of the room. You, you would never rub shoulders. You would never know each other if it wasn't for your common savior. And God takes all of us and he puts us in one family. And this is a celebration of we are the people of God. Diverse, but one. And so we're gonna do it in a way today that's going to enhance the chaos. And I'm excited for it. I've watched it two times already and the third time's a charm. But you're gonna have to be patient with one another. You're gonna have to, to wait for people because we we're gonna have you come to the table intentionally. And there's a lot of y'all and that's good because I want you to, when you're doing that, I want you to look around and see, these are my brothers, these are my sisters. This is my family. I may not know them, but this is my family. I want you to be intentional with that and be, and, and be one with each other as we together celebrate so we look around, we reorient by looking around and looking up and looking in and then we look forward. Because ultimately, what does Jesus say? I'm not gonna celebrate this again until my father's kingdom. Jesus is not in heaven today holding up a cup and the bread and saying, until we meet again. He will not celebrate until the culmination of the kingdom when he returns at the marriage supper of the lamb and then we will all celebrate together. That's where it's all going. That's why Paul says, when we drink and when we eat, we proclaim the Lord's death, what? Until he comes. And what this does is it reminds us and forces us to look for this, this, this day when we see in a mirror darkly right now, but then face to face. This, this little cracker and this juice, it's just a shadow of the feast. This, this is not filling. No one's gonna get filled up like, oh, I can't eat anymore, man. That cracker filled me up. No, because it's a shadow of the feast of one day all of us enjoy and delight with our Savior celebrating forever. And it's supposed to point you to that. And I know, and I know where some of you are at in life, you're like, man, I, that seems so far off. That's the point. 
that you would drink and you would eat in a place of maybe hopelessness and say, no, I have hope because this is where it ends. If you feel unloved or lonely, that you would drink and eat and know, no, 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 you are loved by God because this is what he's done for you. If you feel like kind of life is on pause and it has no direction, it's not going anywhere, and you've been in the same spot and just kind of stuck, that you drink and you eat and you're reminded, no, no, it's going somewhere, that God is doing something and he will return and he will set up this kingdom and you will celebrate forever. There's a reason we look forward. And so we look up, we look in, we look around, we look forward, right? Because Jesus didn't just deliver us from slavery in Egypt, he delivered us from the bondage of sin. And we didn't just escape the death of the firstborn, we escaped the wrath of God that we deserved that was poured out on the body of Christ and given a new covenant in the blood of Christ, the Passover lamb. So if you are here and you are a follower of Jesus, we, we have an open table. You don't have to be a member to participate, but we do say if you're, that you would participate if you are a believer. And if you're not, that you would consider God's offer of salvation in his son and in his son alone. But here's what we're gonna do. I'll give you a little instruction and then I get to sit back and watch. All right, your group over there, that whole line, that's your table against the wall. All right, you see it? This is not your table. You to partake of this is an unworthy manner, okay? <laughs> this group here, this is your table. You got it? This group right here, that is your table. That group over there, that's your table. Balcony, you have a table somewhere up there, you have to find it. It's like the matzo that's hidden. It's up there somewhere, you'll find it. There's only one. You guys have the adventure of a lifetime up in the balcony today, all right? Um, and here, you, I'm gonna give you some space to think to look in, to repent, to thank God, to pray. You can come down and kneel if you want. Had some folks do that early service. Do whatever you need to do to look up, look in, look around, look forward. Gardner's gonna sing over us as you have that time. And then you work your way there. You wanna take down here? A lot of people have been today drinking down here together as a family. It's been beautiful. I've been watching families have come down together, done it together. I've seen folks hugging on each other that are down front, that maybe this group over here, oh, I didn't see you, hey, how are you? It's been a beautiful picture of looking around. So look around. Be patient with each other. Don't get all mad. If someone cuts in front of you, you're gonna get a chance. We're not going anywhere. There's no service afterwards. Um, and then you take, if you wanna take it back your space, take back your space, either way. And then we'll stand just like Jesus did with his disciples and we'll sing a hymn and rejoice in, in remembering what he has done. Let me pray. And we will enter the chaos, which is good. Father, I am grateful for this table, which you have given us to remind us of Jesus and what he has done. His body, his blood poured out for the forgiveness of our sins in the new covenant. His body crushed for our iniquities. By his wounds, we are healed. May this be a significant moment, an opportunity for us, if we haven't, to reorient our hearts, to look up, to look in, to look around, to look forward and to constantly do so. So wherever we're at, the highness of life, the lowness of life. And for those who are in the room and may not know you, that they would see your love poured out on the cross so that they might have life and life eternal in Christ, in Christ alone, the Passover lamb. It's in his name I pray.